Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. Visit them for all your Carolina gear. Cold weather gear is really hot right now. Pick it up. Johnny T-Shirt always has the best sweatshirts and sweatpants and everything you need to stay warm. Talk about them a little bit more later in the show. The day after podcast, Buck Sanders, Jason Staples joined me. Buck, I'll start with you first, like I always do. Uh, but rate us, review us, subscribe and all that on Apple, iTunes and however you get your podcast. But Buck, uh, we talked about this game a lot this week and First and foremost, we said Florida State had talent, but they were not playing up to their talent. Uh, Jason talked about it a lot on his stuff with Unconquered and with us in the game plan, but Buck, we saw a team that sort of woke up a little bit and a North Carolina team that maybe the bright lights were a little too bright for them to start the game. Definitely, Tommy. The Florida State team came out and they were the aggressor they played with their hair on fire. Um, they took it to the Tar Heels and hit them in the mouth and basically said, you have you got an answer for this? And uh, North Carolina took four quarters, basically, to find an answer. And it wasn't – they didn't find it soon enough. The thing that I found really instructive from Mac Brown's press conference was that their game plan – was to wear Florida State out running the ball to start the game and then face a worn-out Florida State defense in the second half. And, you know, one of the things that will jump off the page at you uh, from the box score is that North Carolina ran 80-some plays, um, and to like 50-some for Florida State, that's pretty incredible. I mean, if you roll up that kind of yardage, 558 yards, and you have run 81 offensive plays to the other team's 55, somebody just gave me those two facts, I would say, well, obviously that team won, but that wasn't the case. And for me, the two critical plays in the game were house pick six to um, Florida State. We was trying to throw the ball to Jafonte. And the other one was not getting any points from Trey Morris's interception. Just if everything else had gone wrong uh, for North Carolina, except those two things, we'd be talking about a win this morning. But if it's and butts for candy and nuts, oh, what a happy Halloween we'd all have. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. 
you nailed it on that, looking at the second, first and second half stats. I think Carolina's overall game plan was maybe doable, but Jason Buck mentioned the pick six. I think the allowing the block punt early really got Florida State woken up and got it going, even with just however many fans in the stands. It really changed the tenor of that game right out of the gate and gave Florida State some life early, and I think that was huge. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, th- this was a Florida State team that came in. First of all, anybody who's watched this Florida State team, like Buck said, did not expect them to look like they did last night. Uh, that looked like watching a completely different team than what Florida State looked like pretty much the whole rest of the year. They looked pretty good at different points against Notre Dame at, at points, but not with any sort of consistency. I mean, defensively, it looked like they might have found a couple answers a little bit against against Notre Dame in the second half, but it wasn't clear how much of that was just because Notre Dame had a nice lead and was was sitting on the ball. Uh, and the thing is that, that that team, that Florida State team, has been a team that hasn't had a whole lot go right for it, and it keeps stepping on itself and getting finding ways to lose games. And they very nearly did the same thing against Carolina late. but the last thing you wanted to do to this, to, to this Florida state team is that is true for any team you play that has comparable talent uh, and doesn't, and, and hasn't had a lot of success is give them a reason to hope and a reason to believe early in a game. Carolina really, they, it was kind of the opposite of what happened against, uh, against Virginia tech in that Carolina came out against Virginia tech and basically double tapped them to start. If, if Virginia Tech had hope in that game, that start basically showed, look, we're the better team. Good luck, guys. And th- that's, what, that's what they really needed to do against Florida State is just not, to, ma- not to, to make a couple of key execution errors that gave Florida State hope, where Florida State, all of a sudden, you could see that team start to believe, like, hey, wait a second, we're every bit as good as this team. We, should, we, we can win this game. And they started playing with a confidence level that, that I haven't seen a team in Tallahassee play, play with in a long time. And that's when a, a team that has the talent to beat you becomes dangerous. And they let them, uh, Carolina let them basically get that lead early on a couple of, on a couple of those key plays, and particularly that, that, that punt block. And all of a sudden, you're, you know you're in for a war. It's, you know, it's the whole and, – and I think Buck's right. Florida State came in and hit them in the face. This is like a boxing match where Carolina came in a little tentative and all of a sudden took a couple early shots and got rocked in that first round and then was able to recover and eventually, but just wasn't able to recover enough to, to score a knockout or win on points late. And, uh, and Florida State basically came in as a team with nothing to lose – and they were going to throw they were going to throw some punches early and they did and you got to see how carolina was going to respond to getting hit in the face a little bit and they hadn't been i mean this this carolina team hadn't really been tested this year and florida state hit them hit them in the face early and you could see just a little bit uh, with howell in particular there were some times where it was like uh he he he's feeling it a little bit in this game in ways that he hasn't yet and you know you had to see how they would respond and Early on, first two and a half quarters or so, they, they just didn't have the answers. And, and you could see the, the, the real positive of this game from the Carolina side is looking at how 
they did ultimately sort of, you could see them again, it's the boxing analogy. You could see them sort of finally shake some stuff off and start landing punches their own. And then it became a bit of a slugfest late. And that, that's, that should be encouraging for Carolina fans because that, that I think goes a long way toward learning how to win that kind of game. When you do get hit in the face early and learning, you know what, when you go back to the film, it's painful, but you look, you get a couple catches late, a uh, penalty call that goes your way late. All of a sudden you come out of this game at, at probably at worst in overtime and a chance to really win this game. Guys, that's how close we are to being a good team. That's my message. If I'm Mac Brown, I know it hurts, but look, just keep chopping wood. When you go down like this, we were down 24 points to a, to a good football team. Now, now, if we, you know, the next time we get hit in the face, this is what I'm, this is what you got to remember. And that's, that's got to be the message if you're Mac Brown and the, in the North Carolina coaching staff. I mean, that would be my message to, to my team. And I think there's a lot of positives there, even though, again, not the outcome that, that North Carolina wanted, not the outcome that certainly Mac Brown wanted. Uh, but again, a lot to build on for a North Carolina team that, again, everybody forgets was, a 500 team last year. They're still learning how to win. They're still learning how to play against teams that can come in and hit them in the face that way. Indeed there. Yeah. Carolina, of course, we've talked a lot about learning how to win these games. The only issue that I have with that, 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 you know, if that was Matt Brown's message, which it sounds like it was, is that Florida state hasn't been a good team. And it's, it's tough to tell players, well, you, you came back against a really good team when Florida state's now what? two and four or two and three or whatever and, and has struggled. I think they'll be better as the season goes, Florida State, I mean. But um, right now, it's going to be a tough loss. But one thing that uh, getting behind, you know, and it's almost like, you know, if we're talking boxing, it's like Muhammad Ali would take all the, the beating early and, and then come back late is, especially on that last drive of the first half where Carolina cuts it down and then they give up that last drive to go down – 31 seven and a half. They put themselves in a position where they got to play perfect from there on out to win the game. I said that to my kids watching the, the game, Carolina's got to be perfect. And then it comes down to it and they just couldn't be in the drops. That is probably the most disappointing thing to me from a player standpoint is that, and we can talk about coaching and we will in this podcast, but when you have to be perfect, that puts an awful lot of pressure on kids and they just couldn't make the plays at the end. Well, having to play perfect was a function of playing very imperfectly in the first half. So, you know, I go back to what Jason said. Um, I don't know if it was last week or the week before is that if, if you're going to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, what you need to have is some parity, at least, in the trenches. And they didn't have parity in the trenches, at least for the overwhelming majority of the game. Uh, North Carolina could not block Florida State's defensive line well. Uh, they, they did have some success, but uh, Howell was sacked four times. Sometimes that was late when he was trying to to make a play, but he had pressure constantly in his face. Uh, almost every time he threw the ball, he had pressure. And, and it's really hard to function 
um, when that's the case. On the other side of the ball, Jay Bateman is trying to defend Florida State's offense by rushing five players. Now, sometimes he rushed only four, but for the majority of the snaps, I'd wager that he was rushing at least five guys. Against a running quarterback that can run as well as Jordan Travis can, and you're giving up an extra blocker to the offense, that, that's a hard way to make a living. And so I would say on the offensive line and defensive line, to win those games you're supposed to win, you need to have some parity there on both sides of the ball in the trenches. And North Carolina just did not have that last night. There's a lot of other miscues and problems and things they did wrong. Um, like I said in my article this morning, you could stand in the middle of a circle surrounded by coaches and players from UNC, point a finger in any direction, and you, you'll point to somebody that didn't play as well as they needed to or didn't coach as well as they needed to last night. So there's plenty of blame to go around. But in where you have to point, I think, is a disparity in the trenches in this particular game. Now, whether that's something that can be corrected or will be something that is, uh, you know, an ongoing process, which is, I suspect, it's the latter. I think that's, that's how the game turned the way it did last night. And I, I want to build on that real quick because I actually think the offensive line played – so I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, the offensive line just didn't match up well against, against Florida State's front. And, and I don't think that that's the case exactly. I think what you saw last night was the offensive line not absolutely dominating the, the defensive front. And there's a difference between – so the first three games – North Carolina's offensive line dominated the three teams that they played, particularly in the running game. And there, there were some leaks here and there, you know, early against Syracuse, a little bit early against Boston College. But by and large, North Carolina up front did what they wanted in the first three games. What we saw against Florida State last night was North Carolina's offensive line basically getting a stalemate. They won matches. They won matchups, they won plays, and then there were plays where they lost. Uh, and, and actually, I think in terms of pressure, what Sam Howell faced yesterday is what a quarterback with a good offensive line is going to face against any team with a good defensive line. Now, he's not used to having that much pressure because he's generally had more time than, than a quarterback is, is liable to accept or liable to expect in those contexts. And he has to learn, again, and this has been an issue with him for, for, some, for the first uh, year and four games now, is learning how to perform under pressure when it's not a blitz and to, to handle things under pressure. I thought he actually did pretty well last night once he realized that he couldn't just lean on his usual security blankets of Brown and, and, and Daz Newsom. Once he figured that out, and once they figured that out as an offense, that was, that was the key. But I thought the offensive line was, by and large, pretty good. Now, you can point to a few, a few key plays where they got their butts kicked. That fourth and one sticks out above all, and that's the first time that Florida State all year has played physical football like that in a short-yarded situation in one. And, and that's one where Carolina coming in 
felt like they, they could come in and bully Florida State in those fourth and ones, and they should have been able to bully Florida State in those fourth and ones. And they got their butts handed to them on that one, which I thought was the right call to run, uh, to, to run Javante Williams there. If you look at – they'd been averaging about six, six and a half yards of carry with Javante to that point, and, which tells you that they're winning up front. And then, uh, and then you you know give it give it give the guy a chance and hand it off on fourth and one. You expect to get something, and that happens to be one time where they bowed up. And it's an, it's losing situations like that that really matter. Uh, now on the flip side, I did think that the Carolina defensive line mostly got their butts kicked, and that uh, that against the Florida State offensive line that has I mean it's been growing, and and that's something that I talked about, uh, and. I was on so many different podcasts this last week. It's hard for me to remember what I said where. Uh, but that's something that I did talk about last week is the Florida State offensive line has been much maligned, and everybody's talked about that as, a, uh, as, as the big weakness for Florida State. That's not been the case really the last few weeks for Florida State. They found something up front that really were, they were, they've been able to compete. They, they competed pretty well with Notre Dame's front uh, two weeks ago on the offensive line. And in this case, I thought it was obvious that, that they, they kind of exposed Carolina's personnel, different, personnel gap up front. And that was the concern coming into the season for North Carolina was a lack of depth and really quality top-level talent on the defensive line. And I think that's what stood out most of all in terms of, of talent gap and just where they need to be to be able to win these kind of games consistently last night I mean that that there were times where you could tell Florida State had basically isolated a couple of the undersized guys up front and they were just going to run at that guy because they felt like that guy couldn't hold up at the point of attack and you'd look and he'd be two three yards downfield and again that's that's not great considering Florida State's offensive line is still not it's by no means an elite offensive line but that's really I thought they did get their butts kicked on for the most part on the defensive front uh and you know, it, it, that, 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 that's something you can't have and be a consistently uh, – you, you can't be a top five, top ten team if you're getting your butt handed to you on, your, on the defensive line consistently. They're going to have to find answers there. And you could see that Bateman was concerned about that coming in just by the way that he schemed it. And they found some answers in the second half. Uh, there was a really good job of adjustments by the defensive staff. But it, they, they, were, they were struggling up front, and that, that really hurt them. Yeah, I mean, Carolina's still a year, maybe two away from being able to dominate in the trenches, like you said, especially on the defensive line. You could see the difference in level of talent on each side of the ball, um, especially the defensive lines. Florida State's guys had it, weren't playing like it. Carolina's doesn't have as much, have been playing a little better. And, and the one thing that concerns me still watching is the missed tackles and the gaps. So, you know, they get an opportunity and Chaz quite frankly Chaz Surratt had several opportunities to make tackles near the line of scrimmage and whiffed um one way or another so that those are things Carolina's got to clean up more and more teams get tape on this defense and we're going to see uh, more things that I'll, I'll tell you what was and I'm gonna go to break here but somebody posted maybe Brian Ives posted the last two halves of football for Carolina from the Virginia Tech half to the Florida second half to the Florida State first half. If y'all hadn't seen that tweet, wow. I mean, it's like 70 points and something ridiculous. So there's a lot of exposing going around. Um, but still, there's some things Carolina could have done differently and made some tackles that could have 
helped out the cause there. Let me take a short break, talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com, sponsors of Inside Carolina, sponsors um, or friends of Inside Carolina as well, and certainly friends of Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. You get 10% off your orders if you order online or go see them in person. You can visit them if you're in town for the NC State game. Go buy Johnny T-Shirt, say hello, do your shopping there, get your Christmas shopping done. It's a great way to support a local business. It's a great way um, to keep Franklin Street going. A lot of businesses down there are struggling. Johnny T-Shirt needs your help, needs your support. And, of course, if you can't get there, you can do it online. Visit them. Mm. They, yeah, they, they're unbelievable online. They have everything you could possibly want, jerseys, uh, tailgating supplies, stuff. You know, We got dishes all in the house that come from Johnny T-Shirt that we serve meals on i mean great way to great way to outfit your house yourself your family your car anything johnny t-shirt masks mask absolutely mask 100 percent. if you're going to raleigh or excuse me if you're going to see unc raleigh play in chapel hill on saturday you got to have one no better place to get it than johnny t-shirt take another break let the big guys pay the bills we'll be right back game plan or excuse me the day after podcast buck sanders jason staples and tommy ashley we'll be right back this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back. Second half of the day after podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Buck Sanders joined me. Jason Staples has joined me. Buck, I'm going to come to you. Uh, We talked about a little bit off the air, and I want uh, Jason's thoughts, too. The entire week leading up to this game, we've heard about Florida State's strengths and weaknesses on defense. The secondary was a strength. It's specifically one player. The defensive line could be, but they hadn't played that way. But universally, the linebackers for Florida State were seen as a terrible weakness. But if I'm terrible, on, terrible, and they, yeah, it. Buck, if there's one thing, I'm not a huge bash the OC guy. I think it's ridiculous. It all works out in the end. But Carolina just did not attack them enough. And when they did, they had great success with either Javante or Garrett Walston. My question to you, Buck, is how does that happen? I don't think Still I can me. get inside of Phil Longo's brain. <laughs> I don't think there's enough room for both of ours in there. Um, so, you know, the the middle of the field, I think, was something they could have exploited the middle of the pass defense because when Sam faked that run um, and tossed it to Javante, there wasn't anybody within 10 yards of him when he caught that ball. 
Uh, Garrett Walston, the same thing, right down the middle of the scene. And there wasn't a single Florida State player, I'm probably exaggerating, in between the hashes when he caught that ball. So, you know, obviously, you know, he turned it into a 33-yarder. I think they could have done more than that. But also, I think criticism of offensive play calling, you know, is justified at times. I mean, not everybody gets it right every time. And I think there are some times when uh, you've got to change your strategy. And, you know, when the comeback happened, the, the comeback kind of illustrated that some of those deep passes were there in the first half. They were there if they had gone to it. And the strategy they were using was terrific trying to wear out Florida State's defense. But in the process of pursuing that strategy, they weren't putting any points on the board. If, if what you're doing is not putting points on the board offensively, you know, you've dug yourself in a hole, stop digging and do something else, try something else. Um, you know, I think sometimes play calling criticism is overblown. I've seen some people criticizing that move that uh, they make in short yardage uh, situations where they put Sam under center. Uh, but that's worked for them sometimes this year. I mean, they've had some success with that play. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, all that matters is the scoreboard. And if what you're doing isn't putting points on the board, time to reconsider what you're doing. Absolutely. Jason, let's talk about this a little bit. And the only reason I'm doing it is because it's a big thing on Inside Carolina message boards, and I think it deserves – Discussion. I'm all for teams exerting their will on another team. You know, as Roy Williams says in basketball, we're going to do what we want to do. We're not going to do what you let us do. We're going to do what we want to do. Alabama can do what they want to do. Clemson can do what they want to do. Carolina's not there yet. And that's what concerned me watching this game is, and it feels like we've had this discussion before, to be honest with you. They, Phil Longo and staff said, we're going to do this. This is what we are going to do in this game, and we're going we're gonna to win this game. Well, Carolina's not good enough for that, Jason. And I think another play that really highlighted doing what we want to do is going after Samuel on oh. that fade in the end zone. Oh, I, I, mean, I, I watched that and it was like, why? Yeah, I mean, even – even my youngest, who I love, but he's not a huge football guy, he's like, why are they throwing at that guy? He's all over him. So my question is, Jason, what, is it, what are you trying to accomplish as an offensive coordinator when clearly there are open gaps that you can exploit, yet you choose not to? That's got to be an interesting discussion in the coaches' meeting today. Oh, I can tell you that there's going to be some interesting discussions in the coaches' meeting today. Uh, you saw some of Mac Brown's frustration a couple times on the sideline where he was not a happy camper. And I can, you know, I'm not, again, as, as, as Buck said, I'm not into, into blaming coaches and coordinators for the way that they, that they call games by and large. Uh, any game has a play that you can nitpick here and there. And, and frankly, when you look at the, at the fade call attacking Samuel, some of that's at least on Howell because I, and I need to go back and, and watch it again. And I, I'm not sure the angle 
actually allows it because of the ridiculous way that they shoot these games so tight. But, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that he had Bo Corrales on the other side running the same route. And in that situation, if I'm the quarterback and I see that matchup, those two matchups, I like De'Ami Brown. I think he's a heck of a player. But I'm not going at the De'Ami Brown versus Asante Samuel matchup. I mean, we talked about that in the, uh, in the, in the live show. <laughs> what are you, when are you going to attack Asante Samuel? Don't attack him on anything that's, uh, that's not a deep shot down the field where you've got a chance to maybe run away from him because he's going to be all, all over you otherwise. And that was great coverage. So you don't go there. But what you can do is go over here where their second corner's not been that great and you got a guy that is a jump ball specialist. Go to him if you're going to throw the fade. So some of that, I think, is on, is on Sam. But I think just the fade call there against a team that, as you pointed out, has had trouble stopping the run all year. They didn't stop the run all that much in this game, especially with Javante Williams on the field. So, and, you, and you're treating – the other side of this is situationally. That's third and three. You know it's four down territory. You're going forward on fourth down. So the best call you can make is a run call, is something to give it to 25 where, okay, even if he gets bottled up, look at how many times in that game he got hit around the line of scrimmage, yard in the, yard in the backfield, and fell forward for two yards. Now you're fourth and one instead of fourth and three, and that changes your play calling. So situationally, you got to know on the phones, look, if we don't get it, we're going for it. Keep that in mind in your play call. Okay, that, in that case, I'm not throwing it there because that's 50-50. I feel like it might be 50-50 giving it to Javante Williams to run it for three yards there. But you know what? It's now fourth and one if he doesn't get it, or fourth, fourth and two instead of fourth and three. And those yards matter in terms of how you can, play, how you can plan and play call that fourth down. And so that's an issue. But getting outside the, the, the you know, tunnel vision on one call, I thought overall the, game, the, the plan was right. They, they clearly came out de- uh, deciding to, to test Florida State up front and say, okay, look, you guys gave up 353 yards last, last game against a team that runs the same stuff. So do the same thing. And they, they came out to do a lot of that. There were times, though, where I think the implementation of that was a little bit uneven, partly because Florida State played better in terms of their, their gap discipline. They, were, they, they didn't just olay in certain cases that they did against, against Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame was – they ran a few, a few plays in those cases where it was like what I broke down on for Virginia Tech against North Carolina, where the back is running through a gap where there literally is no one and he's into the secondary where no one, he hasn't seen anybody. You got guys who are looking for like, where, where's the guy I'm supposed to block here. And that wasn't happening. And so once you see that, that, that should impact how you're, how you're playing the rest of it. Okay. They're coming downhill and the backers are starting to find their spots. Well, the, that's where phase two of your game plan comes in. And I thought phase two is a little bit iffy in the implementation in that I thought early Sam locked in on Daz, Daz Newsom in particular. Uh, you could see when he got pressure. It actually, one of the one of the best plays to illustrate this is you can see the the end zone view 
uh, and I might use this one as one of the breakdown videos for this week, the end zone view of Howell's touchdown to, uh, to Walston. Walston's wide open. I'm talking about from the start of the play to the finish. He's open in the back of the end zone going like this. I mean, just jumping up and down. And you, you look at what Howell does, and he takes that snap, and there's pressure coming, and he looks at, 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 uh, at Daz Newsom and he stares down Daz Newsom for like a second and a half. He's like, okay, he's going to come up. But Florida State, they, I think defensively, they knew that Daz Newsom is, is Howell's security blanket, and they – did what they could to take him away. And you go to that fourth, that fourth and three play, and they bracketed him in the end zone. They put two guys on him. They had one guy outside, one guy inside, knowing that, that Carolina loves to run him on little option routes there. And Howell still stared him down and tried to throw it. That's the one that hit the, uh, the, the goalpost. And you go, why, why, why are you still going there? He's double teamed. So Florida State – knew by tendency, and this is not just a coordinator tendency, this is a quarterback tendency. They knew he liked to lock in on, on, uh, on Daz Newsom underneath, and they took him away. And then the next thing you need to do is go, okay, they're taking that guy away. I know I like to throw to him, and I know he's my, my most reliable guy, but if they're taking him away, where do I need to go next? Your eyes have to come off quicker. And you know that you've tested Samuel with Brown a couple times early, and probably don't want to test that guy too much. So you know what? Come over here. You got, you got Walston against their backers. You got Javante Williams and Carter against their backers. You've got, uh, you've got uh, Bo Corrales against their, against their downfield guys. Those are matchups where you feel like you can win. I felt like the real mistake in this game was a combination of, of coordinator and quarterback not – just not coming to those options more quickly. And, 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 you know, Longo's offense is, is constructed such that generally speaking, you got four or five guys that are live options for the quarterback on any play. And I felt like there are times where Howell was expecting stuff that he didn't see and didn't shift his, uh, his read to the next guy quickly enough and didn't come off of what, what he wanted or what he expected pre-snap to the proper place to take advantage of some things there. And I thought some of the times when they, when they max protected and kept the tight end in, cause that's something that Florida state I think did a good job of defensively is they, they brought pressure that basically required Carolina to protect a little bit more. And if you have to keep the H back in to protect, then that means you can't hurt, that you can, they can't hurt your backers with the H back. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a chess game there. So one of the things that then you have to do is maybe, okay, we're, we're going to roll the dice and not protect against that guy coming with the H back. We're going to, we're going to let him go because we think we can get a one-on-one -on -one there. That's, that's what I'm thinking as a, as a, as a coordinator, you know what, instead of going max protect to try to hit them downfield here, I'm going to release that H back because they can't cover that guy. And they did some of that in the second half. That's when they had, I think their most success. And I think that's something they could have gone to a little bit earlier. Again, knowing Florida State's weaknesses, that they should have been focusing on anything but Samuel's side and trying to put pressure on those backers. Uh, anything actually really, but, but the Newsom and Samuel, uh, the Newsom and anybody who, was on, who Samuels was on, which was mostly Brown most of the game. And 
again, this is, this is a quarterback who's not used to playing against teams that have the athletes to take away his favorite guys. And there were times where if you looked at the, at the overhead view, they, he, there just was not a guy that was wide open. And so at that point, you've got you've to play a little differently. And again, Carolina has to make that adjustment. And this will be a learning process. You go back and you look at that film as a staff. You look at that film with your quarterback and you learn from it and, and move forward. Yeah, I mean, and it's look, Carolina put up 558 yards total offense. How three seventy four, three and one. So I mean, it's not like they they were bad, but I, I do think it's fair to dig into that a little bit more than as as we've done to see where they could have been better. They always yeah, say it's it not. Is, it wasn't bad. They just lost key situations. Yeah, and that's the thing. You you know, you look at they move the ball up and down the field, but you lose on that fourth and one. You blow a chance on that on that uh, on that fade route in the in the in the red zone you you know just a little bit of a miss here and there and Florida State won key situations that led to stops and I think a few of those key situations were just not they weren't well handled by by North Carolina and Florida State won those matchups and and that's where again you learn and you have to win those situations moving forward. Yeah, and you can't press reset like you can on Madden or NCAA football. So Carolina loses down in Florida State, uh, 38-21, excuse me, 31-28. Jason had it right with 31 points for Florida State. I thought that was a bit lofty. Of course, a block punt, the pick six helps that. Carolina's three and one. Two Bucks. block punts. Yes, two block punts. Wow. That's another and, and, whole show we could talk about. And Urban Meyer has a stat that he likes to run around. Uh, he, he, he's He's – spoken about for years he says a team that blocks a punt wins a game 93 percent of the time mm. yeah and carolina's got to figure out that i'd love to have a discussion about the the shield coverage on the punts I, I the shield coverage know. was schematically fine i went back and i looked at it you had one guy on the edge that missed that that didn't actually the, the way that you coach this is that everybody has the gap inside him he's supposed to take that guy he never got a piece of him. The shield's not responsible for that guy. That's a guy on the edge. I'm going to break that down this week in the uh, in the in the uh, film study. That 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 was actually schemed okay. It was just very poorly executed. I'd like to see that one because I just don't like the idea of letting somebody as big as 21 run free and pull up <laughs> the shield and be able to get a mid on it. Buck, let's look ahead a little bit. Carolina plays State this weekend noon in Keenan Stadium on Saturday. Uh, Coming off a loss, NC State came off a win against Duke but appears to have lost their quarterback. I guess we'll hear about that. Uh, this is the game that maybe people were pointing to. Uh, maybe Florida State didn't get as much attention, perhaps. Who knows? But NC State in Keenan, uh, how do you think Carolina reacts to the first loss of the season? It'll be curious to find out. I mean, these things can go different ways. Um, Florida State was one and three, looking at one and four in the face. You know, it's a pandemic year, and the players are probably sitting around saying, "Why don't we? Why aren't we out partying and not worrying about this COVID mess? Because we stink anyway." Um, so I don't think that's going to happen. That part's going to happen to North Carolina, but you got to imagine that. Uh, part of their psyche took a hit. I think they were feeling a little bit invulnerable there through three games. 
And I think, quite frankly, that's kind of the reason they came out in the first half and played Florida State the way they did. They just thought, hey, we're, you know, Notre Dame ran 350 on them last week. We ran almost 400 on Virginia Tech. We may not have to put the ball in the air today. We're just going to, you know, run, 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 score touchdowns and kick off and do it again. So that part of the balloon has popped. And so they're going to have to look at things a little differently, I think. And it'll be interesting to see how the team comes out. I think the team has pretty good leadership with Sam Howell and Chas Surratt. I don't think they'll get quite as down on themselves if they didn't have that kind of leadership. But it remains to be seen. It's an open question. We won't find out until next Saturday. And by the way, Duke blocked a punt and lost, uh, Jason. So they're part of that 7% that uh, Urban Meyer talks about that never wins. But Yeah, well, you can it, it, yeah, looking at I'm this year. State blocked one too, though. They yeah. both, both yeah, they both, they both blocked one, but I'm just going to say, uh, what I was going to say is, well, looking at this year, you know, you could have things going, going badly, but you'd still rather not be Duke. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually thought Duke had a chance <laughs> against NC state and well, they were up what 10, nothing. Yeah, they did briefly, but then they did yeah. Duke things. So state comes in rolling. Carolina comes in with a loss. It should be interesting in Keenan stadium on Saturday. We'll talk about it a plenty. This week is rivalry week. Folks, listen to this. Tell me the last time – what happened the last time State and NC State and North Carolina played in October? That's the trivia question. Go ahead, Buck. Uh, it's Geo, wasn't it? I mention yep. before the show's <laughs> over with. <laughs> just wanted to mention before the show's over with that in terms of preseason predictions, I'm 4-0. Everybody else has at least one uh, miscue. So I know Greg Barnes gets credit for picking FSU in the preseason. I just want to go on record saying that I did too. So, you know, I mean. That's I'm why you're El Jefe. Oh, yeah. Presidente. I think, I pick, I think I'm not doing good this year. Well, you, you've only got one. That's the Florida State. You've only miscued one time. I'm just foreseeing the future. I'll screw uh, it up at some point. I, I think Carolina – here's the deal with Carolina and my picks. If Carolina can snap back against NC State and do what they should on Saturday, I feel a lot better with the rest of my picks, and I'll challenge you for the win on the preseason pod. Okay. We'll see. Jason Staples, Buck Sanders, I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You've been listening to the Day After Podcast. InsideCarolina.com. Johnny T-Shirts, our sponsor. Rate us, review us, subscribe. We'll have a lot of fun doing these for you. If you do that for us, you'll see more of us. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Tyson. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. 
A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.